0: Their job is to create, strengthen, and continue to improve the relationships with the owners and the tenants. That's all I I need them to do out there.
1: Welcome Closers. Today we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. This is Season 3 on Profit. I'm your host Jordan Weyla, and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actionable insights to help you grow your property management empire. Whether you manage a hundred units or a thousand, this broadcast is designed to help you see the big picture and give you the tools and tactics that you need to get to the next level.
0: I don't throw darts at a board.
1: I bet on sure
0: things. Sweet Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it.
1: Today I'm talking with Aaron Marshall, the CEO and co-founder of Key Renter, a low overhead, high profit technology, Based property management business and franchise, they're now one of the leading players in property management franchising, and they're trying to use strategic thinking and cutting-edge tech to deliver better service to more owners. In today's episode, you're going to hear a little bit about Aaron's unique approach to building a profitable franchise and how you can think more like a strategist. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Uh, thank
0: you. Uh, thank you for having me, and thank you for that uh, awesome intro.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's well-earned. Let's get into the weeds of how you got into the industry. Everybody always says they fell into property management. I mean, honestly, I've never had a single person come on and say, yeah, I was doing my due diligence and it was about a year planning stage. <laughs> for, for whatever reason, everybody seems to back into it. What about you? How was your experience of getting in the
0: industry? Uh, exact same thing. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> Lay it on me. So I started in real estate 2001. I accidentally fell into real estate. It was my senior year of college. I took this real estate course. I loved it. I had one child, another child on the way. And uh, September 11th happened. I couldn't get a job after. I was two months graduated from college. And I told my wife, you know what, I am going into real estate. And she's like, no, you're not. So it took me two years to convince my wife that real estate was uh, the career that I wanted to go down. She grew up uh, with a father that uh, worked nine to five. Her father did that. Why couldn't her husband? And that was the last thing I wanted to do. I got fired from a job about six months prior. They asked me a question, what I thought about the company. So I told them. And the first chance they got about two and a half, three months later, they let me go. It wasn't a, a pretty let go. After that, I I claim to my wife and everybody around me, I am never working for anybody again. And I tell my kids that all the time too, but I force them, I have a uh, 12, 16, 18-year-old, I force them to go out and work for somebody. And so far, every one of them has hated it. So hopefully I can uh, grow some entrepreneurs. But uh, (laughs) So that was uh, back in 01 when that happened. And then in 06, or actually 07, sorry, and during that time frame, I, I, I've i done a lot of bank foreclosures. And the only thing different from property management and bank foreclosures is that uh, I don't have an occupant. I, I do everything else or I don't have a tenant. Uh, it's vacant. And so in uh, 07, I started kind of in a lull here in the uh, Utah area. Nobody was really buying. Nobody was really selling. There was no bank foreclosures. It was right before the big wave came. I started buying a few properties myself. I had two rentals, didn't uh, know anybody else that could do property management well. And uh, so I looked at Nate. Nate was an employee of mine at the time and looked at him and said, Hey, both of our tenants are three, four weeks behind. Why don't we just kind of pull up our sleeves and let's figure this out and, and see what we can do to get into property management. So that's really how it all started.
1: So when you say you did a lot of REO transactions, throw like some numbers at me, what does that look like?
0: Um, between 2002 and 2013, which I did my last REO in 2013 before selling my business to my team, uh, did over about 1500 transactions.
1: All right. That's some good velocity. And Now, was that an independent brokerage? Were you working under one of the big names?
0: Yeah, I was with uh, a small independent for the first year, then went to Remax, left Remax when my broker was trying to steal my business and started my own brokerage. I did that for a year and then went over to Keller Williams for 12 years, uh, and then have since been with a Key Renter, uh, obviously my own brokerage uh, since then.
1: Ah, right on, all right, a k dub man. You know what's interesting about kW and Gary is that there are so many successful people that have interaction with that franchise somewhere in their background. And the beauty about it is that it's like it's something you can graduate out of. I've seen a lot of people that have gotten a ton from that and still pay respect to Gary, but they've moved absolutely moved on to do their own thing. I'm curious, what stuck with you from your experience with uh, Keller Williams?
0: I've been on stage with that man. He is a wonderful, wonderful man. I I, I have nothing bad to say about Gary. I loved the corporate organization, what it stood for, what they did, the value they brought to the agents. Local politics and the local uh, Keller Williams offices, I, I could not stand.
1: Hit or miss. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, that's hard for any decentralized organization. We'll get into how you deal with that on the key renter side yourself. But before we dive into talking about franchising, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to think strategically. Right now, anybody that's currently running a property management company could have the gumption to think to themselves that they're going to start another property management franchise. And there's already a number of them out there. As you right now, in the current position that you're in, the landscape, the different brands, positioning, market movement, what do you feel like separates a strategic thinker in this industry from somebody else that is, has the Protestant work ethic, is committed to working hard, grinding it out, being innovative? At some point, the latter is incremental, whereas the former has the possibility of being exponential. What do you see as that bright line in terms of the stream of thought?
0: I can definitely outwork just about anybody out there. So for me, I think it it's not really that. It's what value, how are you gonna not necessarily change the property management industry? To me, it, with, with Key Renter, my thing every day coming to work, how can I make property management easier to to manage, easier to do? There are so many moving parts within property management. How can I make it a little easier for my franchisees? And that's really how and why we came up with the brand and came up with key renter and came up with the franchise concept we were originally going to just have corporate offices out there uh, mainly in the western us Um, and we changed that focus to franchising and as we started franchising we realized i realized coming from the kw background i got to create value i got to make this easier what separates key renter versus doing it yourself versus another property management franchise out there. And I had to to make sure that I could distinguish ourselves and be different. And I think that we have done that, but we're not done. We've still got to continue to do that. Uh, We're continuing to change how we help our franchisees. And I don't think we'll ever be done with that. At the end of the day, I tell each of my franchisees, my goal is to make it to where your job is easier, managing those properties and doing property management where you can make more money in less time because of being with KeyRenter.
1: At its core, at its best, the franchise model is recruiting top-tier talent entrepreneurs. It's directing that entrepreneurial passion and drive and allowing it to have the quickest path victories rather than reinventing the wheel, rather than dealing with a lot of frustration that is simply avoidable if you have the right tools, experience, and context. At its worst, the franchise becomes mired in folks that simply were looking for a turnkey, and I'm using air quotes here, turnkey opportunity. And as you and I both know, there is no such thing as a turnkey opportunity. Business is hard. When people ask me whether or not they should get into business, I say, don't do it. It's a bad idea. It's not a great way to make money. And an entrepreneur says, screw you. I'm going to do it anyway. But there's a lot of truth in the fact that it is a struggle. And if we overpromise a struggle. any kind of a turnkey opportunity, whether that's me sending somebody a marketing PDF and blueprint or you selling a franchise opportunity, you're going to get a subset of folks that are starry-eyed and looking for you to bear more of the burden than is reasonable. How do you manage expectations on the front side and recruit the right person into the organization?
0: Man, uh, that's, that's a tough question. I tell people all the time, and I make sure our sales guy tells people as well, this is not a turnkey business. If you're looking to come in and have it run like a McDonald's, you can get it like that. But this is not a turnkey business. And that's going to take you years to do. Uh, if you're looking for that, don't join. Don't don't buy in. So that's that's one thing. The other thing, we're really looking for people who create relationships. This is really a relationship business. We help them On the marketing side, so I don't care if they have marketing experience, we help them on the accounting side. And I say by help, we practically do it for them on both of those uh, spectrums. So I don't care if they have the accounting uh, background or if they have zero accounting uh, numbers person, they have to be relationship-based. Their job is to create, strengthen, and continue to improve the relationships with the owners and the tenants. That's all I, I need them to do out there. And so we let them know from day one, do not, I mean, even though we do the the website and the the marketing stuff for them, we tell them do not count on getting any leads from your website for the first nine to 12 months. Because I don't want them to go out and, because we've had it happen, they join, uh, we get the website up and going, they, they open and they're waiting by the phone. They get frustrated because their business isn't growing. I know you have to go out and create relationships. You got to go out and pound the pavement. Do that for the first year. Then you have earned the right to have the website work for you. Until then, uh uh-uh. uh, you need to go out and, and hit the pavement and work. Then you can get the, the reward or, or reap the benefits from your actions and from your hard work.
1: I'm digging that. Let's let's pause on this. So let's talk about the economic value that is created from the constituent activities, the constituent pieces of the business. There's a million things you can do within your business. You could focus on having an amazing email inbox system and having all your tags just right. You could focus on sales and marketing. You could focus on a realtor referral program. You could focus on making sure that that folio is set up just right. And there is a concomitant economic return associated with each of these activities. What you just outlined was that starting off, there is one thing to do in this business, and that is hustle and grind and to build out the marketing machine. No leads, no marketing, no clients, no dollars, no, no revenue. The blessing and cursing this industry is that once that's ramped up, you can choose to focus elsewhere, focus on, you can pull back a little bit, right? Recurring revenue. At the end of the day, when we talk about growth, for many people, it's aspirational. I could do it. It would be amazing. Or I could not. And things would kind of be okay, too. That's kind of the, the inertia that many folks work against in reality when they think about growth. When you talk to your franchisees about all the places that they could focus in their business, how do you cast the vision for the return associated with sales and marketing activities versus the other operational areas of focus?
0: I I probably just beat the hell out of it. Um, that as well as having our most successful franchisees sharing with them what they had to do to get their business up and going. Yeah, we we help them with the Google pay-per-click and the Bing. We help them with the email campaigns, all that stuff. But none of that at the beginning really, I mean, I I don't want to say it works. It does, but it's not going to work the way going out and hustling and pounding the payment works. If I can give anybody any advice, the first 12 months of your business, you're working 40 hours a week to 60 hours a week. And if you don't have any phone calls, you don't have anything to do that day. Well, your whole eight to 10 hours today is out hustling going out and creating relationships. I tell them, if your phone's not ringing, you go out and make somebody else's phone ring or you start knocking on doors. Well, what doors do I knock on? It's going to be who gets in contact with real estate investors or people that have rental properties. Those are the doors you're going to knock on. Those are the people you're going to go out and visit and then put them into a campaign, get their business card and send them an email through lead simple. We, I mean, you're, you're, Part of Lead Simple or the owner of Lead Simple. With that, we create a campaign. With that, they're not the, the owners, but we create a campaign for them as referral partners so that they can refer us business. That's part of it, but it's 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 agents, it's brokers, it's going to be I groups. It's not just going to the B and I group. You you get out of that B and I group or the investor group what you put into it. If you're coming on time and leaving on time, you ain't going to get anything. You've got to go at least thirty minutes early and leave at least 30 minutes late after the meeting is closed. And then be a part of it. If, if they need uh, a board member, they need somebody to, to lead it uh, for the next 12 months, make the commitment that you're going to be a part of that and help that organization out. Again, you get out of it what you put into it. That's one thing my mom always have told me growing up.
1: Absolutely. The market will always recognize value. There are certain roles, sales is one of them, where the market will unabashedly bow down to the effort of value creation. Sales, marketing, if you're approaching it from what I'm going to get, people are reticent. It takes longer. You're always focused on what you don't have. When you focus on giving, when you focus on leading with that 10x value, before you make the ask, doors open. And ultimately, you got to decide whether or not you want to be the flower or whether or not you want to be the bee. Do you want to be reactive waiting or do you want to be proactive making it happen? And if you take that, that bee proactive strategy, it's amazing how you can rub two sticks together and make something from nothing. You think just this basic thought of talking to 10 people, and in the course of that interaction, progressively learning more about their mutual wants and needs, making connections, by the time that you're talking to that 10th person, as long as these people are similar enough, you should have enough context to be able to deliver some value simply in the course of those 10 conversations. There's a lot of way to bootstrap value. When we think about the other aspects of the business, past sales and marketing, with operations, Give me the skinny. Give me the straight talk. I want you to address the skeptics that think about franchising as being, you know, the basic response is, well, why would I do that? I can do it myself. I've already got my own operation, particularly if somebody's 't managing two, 300 doors. What kind of value can somebody expect to receive from a well-run franchise that would even cause them to consider not doing the whole enchilada themselves?
0: I get that all the time why go through you guys or why, why be with key renter? You guys have 7%. You take 7% royalty from me, blah, blah, blah. Why would I ever do that? Well, just like I told you a few minutes ago, my goal is to help them make more money in less time because of being with key renter. I can get them from zero to 200 doors. I feel like faster than anybody else can, or I can get them maintaining 200 doors at a cheaper cost, at the end of the day, I don't care how much gross revenue you make, how much net and how much money are you able to come, uh, bring home and put in your own pocket. That's really what matters. And so for us with Renter, it's about the value. Uh, yes, you can do this whole business on your own. The majority of, of the property management industry is mom-pop shops. It's not franchises. It's not big hedge funds or, or groups like that. Uh, it's, it's mom-pop shops. And so what we do is we help and we partner with our franchisees. Like I said, we do a good majority of the marketing. I would say probably 90, 95% of the online marketing we do for them uh, from the website to the SEO. Uh, we pay for the lead simple account with, with your company that uh, comes out of my credit card. The franchisees don't pay that, uh, but it's the value that I, that I see in a, in a CRM that I believe that they should have. Uh, the other part of that is accounting. Um, I'm trying to take some of the hardest or the, some of the parts that the, the business owner or the owner broker doesn't want to do or they spend a lot of time trying to deal with. Online marketing is one. Um, accounting is another. We, we hired a uh, full-time accountant about 10 months ago. And recently, over the last couple months, uh, we've been doing some different testing and so forth. And uh, over the last probably 30-45 days, rolled out that we will do about 90-95% of the accounting and Appfolio work uh, because we use Appfolio for our franchisees. Everything from entering uh, invoices, entering the bills, uh, new tenants, new owners, all that stuff, the back office stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about, I've I've told you before, it's about the relationship and the franchisees or the property manager needs to focus on the relationship. What can we take off their plate, essentially in the back office or, or in our office, that doesn't matter who's doing it, that can make their life easier. That is where the value is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole back office services seems like a big part, a big piece of the opportunity for franchises to actually come alongside the individual franchisees and say, hey, there's some real concrete weight to it. It's not just a PDF or a guide, but there's actual uh, functional service and, and infrastructure. So I love hearing that. Let's pivot to talking about a couple other topics. One thing I want to dive into is talking a little bit about technology data. Running a franchise, you have some some weight, some velocity. You're representing enough individual offices that you can start to think about some of these aspirational use cases. For your average mom and pop shop, talking about big data, a data scientist, is, is not only is a pie in the sky, it's also Greek. In your case, in your situation, presumably, you're getting to a place where some of those opportunities are things that are coming to mind. My observation about the industry is that it's pretty broken when it comes to the overall data structure, data model, What I mean by that is the data is essentially siloed rather than what most industries operate under, which is a paradigm where you truly own your data, it's accessible, it's portable, you can move it from hither and yonder, access it, report on it. For the most part, our clients tend to work in a paradigm where that data is locked up and that's just the premise that they accept. There's really not a lot of options. That's just kind of the rules that they play by. When you think about the opportunity with data, both today as well as where you'd like to take the franchise in the future to help your individual franchisees, how do you think about how data exists and the, the need for getting more access to really what is a key operational asset?
0: I just wanted to quickly state the, the reason why I feel like it's, it's kind of shattered, kind of what you just described, because of the mom-pop. And it, 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 gathering that data or piecing together that data, none of us as single broker owners and, and op- business uh, operators have the cash or have the means to be able to bring that data together. And so, yeah, we just freely kind of give up our data and none of us really have any control of that. And so with Renter, that is something that I see can be a huge asset to us. We haven't done anything yet, but to be able to capture and keep that data close to our chest. But that is something that we are researching and seeing what we can do to be able to keep some of that data. And so give it uh, the next year or two, and and, uh, we'll we'll have some different things that will allow us uh, to be able to keep that data within our... I mean, if if we're using a third-party software company... Such as Atfolio or, or any of these other uh, third party co- uh, companies that allow us to have kind of ease and functionality of, of the property management industry. Obviously, we give it up to them, but be able to allow us to keep it on our own as well and be able to gather that data.
1: Yeah, uh, and it's really not about giving a third-party access. That was a proactive choice you made. It's more about not having access yourself, right? The problem isn't that AppFolio has access. The problem is that, is that you don't. Right? If you want to pull and have bare metal access to be able to report on or do whatever you want. There are some pretty limited options. So it sounds like even at your scale, that still is kind of a work in progress. I think that really represents how big a nut this is to crack for the industry. There are a couple of cracks in the surface. Rent Manager has a full-blown API Propertyware is kind of talking about it, unclear to what degree that's lip service versus uh, something that's truly accessible, not just in terms of raw API, but actual functional integrations. I'm hopeful, but yet to be seen. AppFolio is taking a closed-fisted
0: approach. Uh, Yeah, they are. But listen to the uh, AppFolio conferences coming up, and I think there may be a few things coming up that way.
1: That should be interesting. They've been getting beat over the head recently.
0: Uh, they they have. They're, they're a public company. And so some of that you can uh, kind of read between the lines with what they want to roll out, uh, what they're testing. But I'll, I'll just kind of leave it at that. Any AppFolio users out there, I would highly recommend attending the conference that's coming up this September or viewing the conference videos and listening to some of the rollouts that uh, happen uh, from that conference.
1: Okay, well, we will keep a close eye and that should be interesting. And by the way, a shout out to Todd Breen for putting a heat lamp on that part of the industry. All right. So, moving on from technology, let's talk a little about uh, the underlying asset. Let's talk about cash flow, the financial opportunity. People get into this business to make money at the end of the day, at least. We hope so. What it looks like is that a lot of folks end up getting into it unknowingly to have an income, not necessarily to be building an asset, and that's okay. But for those folks that are really trying to build that nut, that sellable asset, that milkable asset, there needs to be one thing, and that is cash flow, the C word. I know that you have collected a check in more than one way. I know that you've been active with real estate investment yourself. Talk me through the importance of cash flow in this business for achieving the kind of financial freedom that people really want.
0: I'm kind of stunned there because at the end of the day, why the hell would you be in business if you're not getting cash flow? But it's so surprising to me in property management uh, that people are, oh, as long as my property management uh, business can pay for itself and break even, I'm okay. I make money on the, on the real estate sales. Or, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm growing my business. I'm at 150, 200 doors. I'll make money when I'm at 400 doors. No, 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 no. At, at 100 doors, you should be making money. And you should be making decent money. If you're not, reevaluate how your structure is and how your business is and start making money. I told you at the beginning of the call, I'm, I'm planning on doing a book called Cash Flow is King. Uh, You've got to have cash flow. And if you don't have cash flow in this business, how are you going to stay in it? And and that's one of the things that I I, I push for my franchisees like, um, and I, I grade them on. And and I share stats with with each franchisee on on how we how we're all doing, uh, because I want them to see how each other's doing, and if they think somebody's doing great, hey, pick up the phone and and uh, call and and talk to that person. But isn't that why we're self-employed and why we're in business is for cash flow? This business you can get some substantial cash flow. I, I I don't want to be throwing out numbers and and whatnot, but some of my franchisees. They make a pretty damn good living uh, in property management, and they don't work more than, I'm going to say maybe 50 hours a week. It's not that they work 40 hours a week, and and some of them work 80 hours. It depends upon how you want to set up and have your your business run. That's like one of the most important things is cash flow and making sure that you can pay ourselves. I have gone through this business um, and starting the franchise business. I, I don't have any outside investors. I don't have anybody uh, helping fund that. Um, and after putting a million dollars into that, I've got to be making my money somewhere. And I make my money off of our here in our Salt Lake office. And so, yeah, there, there has to be cash flow uh, that comes into property management, uh, your, your property management business. Uh, there's so many ways and angles that we can talk about how to get cash flow if you're not getting it. But yeah, so what would you say to somebody that's stuck in the story? Being stuck
1: in the story looks like this. Well, you know, you just you can't make money on maintenance. I'd love to be profitable with that love to make a little money but all you can do is lose money on maintenance or or the inverse which I've absolutely heard well you can't make money on property management you can only make money on maintenance or well I'd love to charge for xyz but all my owners would fire me you know there's so many stories as to why this business has to be an income rather than the actual value accretion of an asset what would you say to somebody that is stuck in that story
0: most of the time it's going to be a mindset uh, there are some parts of the country to where that can be true, but most of the time, it's going to be mindset. If it's not mindset, it's going to be, how are you selling your services to the owners or to the tenants? We make money on the owners. We make money off of the tenants as well. It depends upon if the tenants are doing everything that they should be doing, then all they have to pay is rent because that's what's in the lease. If they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, yeah, we make some money off of them, depending upon what it is, lease violation, three-day notes to pay, vacay, so forth. So I, I'd say part of that is going to be mindset. Other part, they just don't know. And so I, I, I remember one of our first franchisees came on board three years ago. He uh, had about 100 doors, and uh, he, he was a conversion. Comes in, and, and uh, Nate and I, my, my partner Nate and myself, uh, about a month after he opens, we're like, look, you really should be making more money. You've got, you're managing a hundred doors. Your numbers just don't look right. Oh, well, yeah, Aaron, Nate, I, I, we, we just can't do that here in, in, in my market. And uh, we're like, just, just try it. And uh, so we went off about two, three weeks later. He's like, uh, he comes back and he's like, you wouldn't believe it. The owner didn't even flinch. I raised my rates to this and I, I haven't had anybody say anything. And so we go back and uh, about Oh, two, three months later, we're like, hey, give it a shot again. And uh, so he changes some of his, his fees and so forth and comes back. And he's like, you wouldn't believe it. Nobody flinched. I raised my rates. And man, I, I can't believe it. I, there's no way I can do that again. And we're like, well, your services are still a little cheap here. And, and we don't try to be the cheapest guy on the block. But for us, for Key Render, we want to be the most experienced and the best of value. And we want to make sure that we can take care of the property. And it's tough to be the cheapest guy on the block and be able to have the resources and the income to be able to service that property uh, the best. And uh, so he raised his rates again. And um, he's done that probably six, seven times since. And he is one of the most profitable property management companies in our franchise system by far, does an awesome job. But he had to get over that hurdle with his mindset of, oh, not in my area. Oh, I can't do that. Like, it's just me or it's just me and and one assistant. And now he's got five, six, maybe even seven uh, people on his team. But he believes in the product that he's giving You got to believe in your product. Do you really believe that you've got a good product? If you do, stand behind it. For me, I mean, I I manage my own properties as well here. Um, I own 10 properties locally. And so I'm managing these properties as if I was managing my own.
1: I love that. So, when I think about the whole conversation of fee maxing, there's really two ways to look at it. The cynical view is that you're charging people more for what they're already getting. The optimistic view is that you're trying to add more value and charging people accordingly. At the end of the day, if you're in a situation where you're either losing money, your business is suffering, it's on life support, you have an income, but you know you're getting underpaid – that's not long-term viable for the business. And if it's not viable for the business, it means it's not viable for your clients. And even if you can make it work, what that means is that you're offering subpar service as a result of those margins. So it's absolutely worth questioning the assumption. And it's not even worth having the conversation about the specific types of fees. There's value in that, but in many ways, it undersells or it short sells the real issue, which is mindset, which is the belief in charging what you're worth, which is about leaning into hard conversations and being willing to find out what's on the other side. I know you come from the same place on that, so I appreciate your perspective.
0: I love a part of fee maximization. I'm not a nickel and dime. and I think there's a difference there, there's some property management companies that do the nickel and dime uh, for everything, uh, and so I think there's a fine line there, and you've got to figure out for yourself with your morals how you do business. How do I want to do business and be able to maximize these fees? And you've got to find where that is for you. Everybody's going to be a little bit different, but I mean, you just got to figure out what are you okay with, and you've got to believe in your product
1: mm-hmm. and your service. Let's talk a little bit about focus. When we talk about fee maxing, we've entered the category of shining objects. Whether that be fee maxing or getting into, you know, starting a title company, this new insurance scheme, whatever it may be, that like there's so much opportunity for distraction in this business. How do you think about focus in your own life in light of the fact that not only are you running an operation, but you actually have all these other franchisees that you're taking a certain level of responsibility for? How do you manage your day-to-day focus? What is your do you have any any morning or daily rituals? How do you stay on your game?
0: I am a total entrepreneur. I work my freaking butt off every single week, but at the same time I try to vacation, I try to get time out of the office. So with that, I, I go in phases. Right now, I'm not so much in the morning phase, even though today I came in about six in the morning. Um, I'm usually more of an evening. And so I'll stay till midnight, one o'clock in the morning, work 15, 18-hour days. And, and those are only a couple days a week because I have a family and uh, a wife that wants to see me as well. I, I have set schedules. Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, for me, it's more about 8.30 to 5. And then Tuesday, Thursday, um, I work from about 8.30 to about 1 in the morning. Uh, so it's long days. And then Saturdays, uh, I try to come in for a half day. And then in those work days, I try to break it up. Uh, not so much uh, like on my schedule or letting my team know, but just me mentally on what I'm doing first. And for me, I dive into my emails uh, sometimes it's like, okay, I really got to get this done. Uh, if there's a project or something I need to get done, I won't even go to my email because the email will just, I, I once you dive into that, that's at least a half hour to an hour because it, you dive in and it's like, oh, this needed to be done yesterday. And hey, the phone isn't ringing off the hook. And so everything can wait at least a little bit. Um, so focus on what, what you've got to do. When I'm out on uh, trips, vacations, if I'm leisure trip, um, I try to read a book. Uh, right now, I'm in the middle of, what is it, Ask, They Answer? or uh,
1: Marcus Sheridan, They Ask, You Answer.
0: Yes, um, I'm, I'm in the middle of that. Uh, but I try to also listen to two audiobooks uh, a month. That helps me kind of stay on my game to see where, where the market is, what's going on that I need to pay attention to. I'm a part of an EO group, an entrepreneur group uh, called EO. I uh, attend that every single month. That group keeps me in line as well and keeps me on my toes with just the thought, the the long-term planning, thinking that we do as a group. Uh, I love it. Uh, if I can recommend anybody to uh, out there, if, if you're looking for a group that thinks similar like you and you're an entrepreneur, not that your wife uh, thinks is crazy, uh, then I definitely would would join it is kind of expensive, about five five grand uh, a year, but definitely would, would do that. And then just making sure that I can have family time as well. I have a goal and vision of where the franchise should, should be by the end of the year, three years, five, 10 years down the road. My job, I feel like to, to do that. You, you talked about shiny objects. For my franchisees, I don't want them to go out And investigate and and check out all these shiny objects I want them to be sending them to to me and Nate most likely we've already uh, investigated uh, looked into them, checked out the software checked out the service we want to do that for them that's another thing that we do and so that they can focus on the business and not so much focusing on all these shiny objects and the other thing with that with shiny objects Don't change your business so much with so many shining objects out there and you're like, oh, here's another maintenance package that I should try this. And then you, three months later or two months later, you change to this maintenance package or uh, maintenance uh, call center. Two, three months later, you change it to another one. At the end of the day, do your homework, do your research. Um, If it's really that bad, definitely change. But both your staff as well as your owners kind of get tired of you changing and switching things up all the time. So be careful with all that change within your business, especially with your staff.
1: The levers is what we need to be thinking about. What are the levers that we have available to move? What is the prioritization of those levers relative to where my business is at? And what activities that I could embrace map to those levers? Do I have a cost problem, i.e., is it a labor issue? Does that mean that I need to fire somebody? Does that mean I need some incremental efficiencies? Do I have a revenue issue? Is my revenue per door low and I need to either start raise and or defend my base management fee, come up with ancillary fees, that context is really a first principles way of ordering and prioritizing the endless stream of activities. I love what you just said there. Focus and priority is the name of the game. Let's move on to talking about the rapid fire questions. I ask these pretty much to every guest, a similar list of questions. I want quick, guttural answers from you. And the first question is this,
0: Aaron, who do you learn from? From audible Books, that as well as other entrepreneurs that are in the trenches doing it now, those two things.
1: All right, give me a couple of names of some books. You brought it up. Give me, give me like your, your top three or a few you've
0: read recently. All right, right now I'm reading Solve for Happy. Love it. Uh, also, uh, reading uh, Build a uh, Story Brand. Just finished reading Built to Sell, The Entrepreneur Roller Coaster, Crush It, uh, Hell Elrods, Miracle Morning. Uh, scaling up those are all awesome excellent books that i've uh, read recently love it so story brand
1: donald miller talking about branding positioning the narrative built to sell
0: kind of self-explanatory but by john
1: warlow or something
0: yep another one i i just finished reading the, the sell of a lifetime i love that book if you by harry dent uh, if you haven't read it, would recommend it. It's about, I think it was done early 2016. Um, so if you're going to read it, read it probably within the next 6-12 months, and by then it may be outdated
1: everybody has their preference in terms of medium. I'm an audible guy too. I still love the physicality, the smell of a book in my hands, particularly if I'm on vacation, but that drive time is value. I don't know what your drive is. Mine is short. My drive is time is under 10 minutes, but I'm still hacking away at books slowly, but surely via audible. Now, the real question is, are you, are you a two X speed guy or a one X speed guy in audible?
0: Most of it, I'm a one and a half. Okay. All right. Uh, Solve for happy. He has a really bad accent or an accent. And so for that, I'm doing at 1.25.
1: I'm actually with you on that. There's like a small handful of people that actually talk as fast as I do. And I listen to those people at a much slower speed. (laughs) Most of the podcasts that I listen to every time 2x. Love it. Next question. If you could do it all over again, if you could talk to yourself on day one of starting Key Renter, what is the one piece of advice that you would have done everything within your power to get that version of yourself to understand?
0: One, not going to franchising. Um, And I say that kind of sarcastically, but holy cow, did I uh, not see what franchising was all about. It has nothing to do with property management. But take that aside, probably at the end of the day, focus on relationships. It, nothing that you can do with your website is going to bring business in. The biggest driver that, will, that can and will bring business in is you or me. Go out and sell yourself and build a business. If I was to do it over again, I wouldn't spend so much money on all this other marketing crap and everybody that's emailing and calling me and wanting... to $1,500 a month to help me bring in leads. (laughs) All right. Fair
1: enough. So a lot of people ask what's going to be different in the future, the word disruption. My question for you is this. In 10 years, what's going to be the same in this business? What is predictable enough that we can optimize for and bank on? What do you believe is not going to change in a decade?
0: This is still going to be a relationship business. How we do the business will definitely change, but it will still be a relationship business.
1: Couldn't agree more. I'm with you. Final question of the interview. Aaron Marshall, in your opinion, are entrepreneurs born or bred?
0: I am going to say both, but I'm going to say partly it is born. But the other part, it's got to be bred as well. You just can't be born with it and really not have the, the playground to be able to exercise or see the entrepreneur power. For me, I give my entrepreneur spirit back to my grandfather, who was an entrepreneur. Uh, I always wanted to be like him. He uh, had a box business, cardboard box business uh, out of Denver, Colorado, uh, that he uh, started back in the 50s. And uh, I never actually saw him do it. So that's part of it. The other part, my, gra- my other grandfather was uh, an entrepreneur, a failed entrepreneur with rabbit meat. Uh, he always tried to get rabbit meat out in the supermarkets, clear from the early 60s, clear up to the mid 90s. And he could never really get it out there in the, the mass quantities. It tastes similar to chicken. I'm not sure if you've ever had rabbit meat. So I'm going to say a little of both, but there needs to be an environment uh, to where the entrepreneur spirit or that born entrepreneur spirit can uh, kind of develop
1: with uh, within. And I don't know that those answers are incompatible. You could say that it's born into a certain group of people, but only only a subset of those folks actually fully manifest it based on what was modeled for them. I totally hear where you're coming from, That which was modeled for you becomes infinitely more reasonable for you to aspire to do simply because you saw somebody else do it, particularly if that person was in your immediate family. So love that answer. Aaron, if folks want to get in touch, if they want to learn a little bit more about you, Key Renter as a company, what's the best place for them to go?
0: Go to LinkedIn, Aaron Marshall, or go to the website keyrenterfranchise.com. You can uh, hear uh, and view some videos that I have on there. But I'm readily available. You can also email me, Aaron, at QRenter.com.
1: Love it. Thanks for coming on the show. Aaron, if you're ever in Austin, let's break bread. Excellent. Thank you. All right. We'll be in touch. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Your feedback makes this a better show, and the more reviews we get, the better our guests become. Thanks again for listening and don't forget that you can find us online in the Profitable Property Management Facebook group where we mastermind with the best in the industry.